All right, take our Bibles tonight for a moment, and let's take our, and go to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. You turn there, just want to say how, how grateful it is for us to, that we have been able to be with you this week, and it's been really a privilege to us to be able to minister, and, um, and so we really count this as a great blessing. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, if you don't have these verses memorized, you should, because these are key verses, especially if you, if you want to share the gospel with people. And they're right here, but notice what it says in verses 8 and 9. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works so that no one may boast. You begin to consider this and go, wow, that, what, what does this all mean? And can I tell you personally, this does mean a lot to me, this passage naturally, because it was a number of years ago as we were kind of finishing off a spring semester um, we had finished off in, in, um, in, in Washington State. We had just flown to Alaska, landed in Anchorage. And when we landed there, uh, we are going to be there for about two weeks with two different churches, Anchorage and Wasilla. And, and, um, and then we get a, I get a phone call from my mom, and my mom from South Carolina says this. She says, Jeremy, I want you to know something that Grandma, um, that Grandma Fraser just passed away. Uh, she had been battling cancer. Um, it was a, a tough battle and, uh, and yet near the end, it's like a lot of family was in town, and so they came to the, were there, and she said, because everyone's in town, the reason I'm telling you this is because I know you just have just landed, and you guys are just starting off there, but, but we're going to do the funeral almost right away, and so we know that you're going to miss it, and we're really sorry about that, but it's just, it's, it's convenient for everyone who's here, and it was, it made me really sad, you know, think of missing my, I love my grandma, Frazier, and um, interesting, my grandma, Frazier, um, she had come to Christ at a younger age, and and my grandma Fraser used to always encourage me and challenge me spiritually. And I remember my grandma, I mean, thinking, what would she think for me missing her funeral? And you know what she would have said? This is what she would have said to me. She would have said, Jeremy, don't come back from a mission trip or from preaching, you know, to come to my funeral, but you keep preaching Jesus. Like that, That's my grandmother. She was like, you know, she was a bold and encouraged me to be bold in my faith, share the gospel, don't shy away. Interesting is I go through the summer and I go a little bit further in the summer and I get a phone call from my mom and, it's, and, and it was more bad news. It's not like every time she called it was bad news, but just happened to be. And this time she told me, Jeremy, I want you to know something that Grandma, Grandma Smith just passed away. That was my other grandmother. Now, Grandma Smith was 97 years old when she passed, okay? And can I tell you, if you're 97... Every day's a miracle. You know, that's, that's, that's pretty significant of an age, you know what I mean? And so uh, at that point, um, it didn't take us by surprise in a sense, but it was saddened our hearts, but I was able to go to that funeral. I got on a plane flight from, from uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin, flew down to Jacksonville, Florida, and then my cousin picks me up, and he, and he says, man, I'm so glad you're here, and, and um, so so thankful that you can be here for this, and good to see you again, Jeremy. But then he said this, um, I know that tomorrow's the funeral. Do you think you could do the funeral tomorrow? Yeah. Um, in one sense, serious, like surprise, but yet in one sense, maybe not. I mean, I, I begin to consider even the family and, and many of who are, who are there in Florida did not know Christ and, and weren't, weren't followers of Christ or real believers. And so at that point, I told him too, I said, it would be my privilege. So we just go to the house. Everyone was kind of meeting at grandma's house at the time and and again, the next day, funeral, and I went in the house, and I went, and I found her Bible. I wanted to find her Bible. I wanted to see it. So I took her Bible, and I began to, you know, open it up. And just, I'm, I was curious what passages made an impact. And my grandmother's Bible was, was marked up. You know, she, she liked to mark her Bible well. And, and at that point, I come across Ephesians chapter 2, and, and verses 1 through 10 was so marked up. I mean, underlined, highlighting. I mean, there was times, you know, boxes around certain things, rays of light shooting out of areas, you know. She had, had arrows pointing and different, I mean, and the way it was marked up, it was so clear she got it. She understood it. And I say that to say, if you knew my grandmother, she had come to Christ at like a backyard Bible club in Iowa when she was growing up. And she would talk to you about Jesus. So I thought, man, what better way to speak a funeral, like to use grandma's Bible to preach her own funeral and, and call friends and family to Christ. And what, a, what I don't know if there's a, 
there's a better passage at just so late. I mean, just such a great, I mean, layout of the gospel right here in these first 10 verses. So I want to look at those for the next moments. And I just, I just know that God can use this in our heart and our life. I don't, I don't want to assume on everybody here. Um, because I know this, not everyone who claims to be a Christian is really a Christian. And actually, interesting, you know that you can play the part well because when you go and you think about Jesus and he's telling them they're going to deny, someone's going to deny it, they're all like, is it me, is it me? No one went, oh, it's clearly Judas, which tells you you can play the part well. And scripture does encourage us to examine ourselves to see if we be in the faith. It may very well be that you're here tonight and, and maybe you, you prayed some kind of prayer you know, back in the day, but that's not, that's not actually true conversion or salvation. So, so what does it mean even? So I really want you to consider these truths of the scripture tonight for the next moments because it may very well be God has you here tonight in his kindness and goodness and mercy to save you. That would be amazing. It would be the greatest day of your life. And so as you begin to consider this tonight, let me just pray and ask God's help. Father, as we would look to you now, I just ask for your blessing and help. And I pray that, that I would be able to declare this truth to my friends here tonight. And I ask God for anyone who is without Christ, that you would open up their eyes to the truth of the word of God. They would see their need for Christ and they would repent of their sins and trust in Christ alone. God, thank you for your amazing grace that does save and, uh, and I pray for m- many who are in Christ here tonight that you would encourage them and challenge them in their faith, maybe even using this passage to teach them how they can even share the gospel with their friends. And so, God, I thank you for what you're going to do tonight. Bless our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you notice chapter 2, verse 1, and I want to give you really the bad news of the Bible to start off, okay? This is, this is not good news, okay? The first... The first couple verses, what describes us, it doesn't describe us in a pretty picture, okay? And I, again, I've, I've, I've worked at describing this, and I've literally had some people in the past, as I'm describing something like this, like get up during a, me- during a message and just stomp out. I mean, ticked at me, you know, almost because and they're thinking, oh, and I'm thinking, no, don't leave because I'm getting ready to give you the good news, okay? But you got to understand the bad news first. And we got to be able to see this. But notice what scripture says. It says in chapter 2, verse 1, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So he had to make you alive. This was the problem. We were dead spiritually. Now, wait a second. If you're going to take any kind of simple notes, you know, maybe to kind of help you remember, I would, I would say this. Point number one is this. Salvation is from sin. When I say the word salvation, again, I get it. Sometimes we're, you know, it's like, what does that even mean? I remember talking to a kid, probably eight to 10, and, and I said, hey, buddy. I said, have you ever been saved? <laughs> and he said, oh, yeah. And I said, well, tell me about it. And he said, well, my mom was driving down the road in a minivan, and, um, and I was in the passenger seat, and then all of a sudden she, like, slams on the brakes right before this stops. Like, we stop, and this other car's like, Rrr. And I was doing what you were doing, like, okay. And then I went, oh, I don't mean have you been, like, saved from a car accident. I mean, have you ever been rescued from your sin? And he goes, well, no, I don't think so. See, this is really the real problem with mankind. The scripture says that we've all sinned. We've all broken God's laws. I think that's pretty easy for us to see. I don't really know hardly anybody. Through the years, it's interesting, all over the world, there's very few people, like on one hand, that have said to me they've never sinned before, okay? They've never done anything wrong. And I, and, I, and I laugh for a moment, and then what I do is I end up walking them through the Ten Commandments, and, and, and right away, on the first one, they, they say, oh, well, okay, I've done that. You know what I mean? So they admit it. But if you notice this, it says that we're dead in your trespasses and sins. We, we break God's laws. We transgress the law. That's what the Scripture even says sin is. It's the transgression of the law. And we do sins, Actually, it's interesting, we can sin with our mind. You can, you can have, have just self-centered thoughts all day long, and now instead of being our thoughts should be on the Lord, we're just on self. And then the truth is, is we can have not just proud thoughts like that, we can, we can have angry thoughts towards people, someone made us mad or whatever, and we just think angry thoughts, or, or maybe dirty thoughts. You think of, I think of the scriptures, and I think about even our culture and the number one commodity on the internet, you know what it is? It's called porn. 
It's immorality. And then you think of, of the culture. I mean, and, and yet the, the immorality. And Jesus said you should never commit adultery, but then he also said, he went on to say this, but I tell you, if you look at somebody else, the idea is, and you lust after them, you have those immoral desires. After that, what have you done? You've committed adultery already in your heart. And in one sense, who's never had a dirty thought? And the whole point is we're guilty of this before God. Man, we, we sin with our mouths. We lie. We, we, I, I think everyone in this room wishes they could take back words they've said to hurt people. And we, we use our tongues, and yet out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's why we said it. If you want to know what's, what's, in the, what's in the heart, it's like the tongue is the dipstick. It just shows you really easily what's down there. You just let it speak. Yet we sin that way, we can sin with our lives. There's so many ways we can do wrong or do evil. And the scripture does not paint a pretty picture in these first three verses. It says that we're like dead in our sins. Now you think about a dead person and they don't respond. We were in Michigan, it was a number of years ago. And one of the girls, Rachel, um, she, she, uh, she came to us and said, I don't know what to do because I, we're, we're, we're supposed to do um, music for a funeral. It wasn't like we, they invited us for this funeral, but we came to the church that week and the when we kind of set up on Saturday, the pastor said, we just had somebody in the church who's been in the church for, for so long who just passed away, and the funeral's Thursday. Could you actually be a part? Could you guys do the music? And he says, I'll do the preaching, but you guys do the music. And we said, however we can help, pastor, we want to help. And, and so sure enough, uh, Rachel's like, oh, no, no, where's my, you know, my notebook? It's in there. Well, they weren't letting anyone in the auditorium yet. The casket was up front. The people were still out there. And they finally let her come in. Interesting that she's coming in, though. She said, she said, I just had to get my notebook. So she said, I was the only one in the auditorium. I was by myself. And here's this, this dead body, she says. The casket was open. She's like, I don't know who this is. I didn't, you know, and then it's like, I'm on the front row getting my book. And she goes, you know, she says, I've even been to funerals before, but never like an open casket funeral. Like everything about it was kind of a little eerie, you know. Well, as the funeral eventually happened and we all you know everyone came in and the music and the preaching the guy in the casket even though they kept it open during the funeral he didn't say anything to us you know he didn't he didn't sit up in the middle of that you know and say hey everybody uh thanks for coming looks like a great a great crowd you know for my funeral thank you you know and he didn't say pastor good job on the message and fraser team thank you you know and i say that because we know that physically dead people don't respond. We understand that. I mean, Scripture even says before you're saved, speaking of, you, of the natural person, they don't receive the things of the Spirit of God, neither could he or she know them. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned, and if you don't have the Spirit of God in you, it's like a blank book. And so really, when it comes to spiritual life, I mean, there's no appetite. Think about that. I mean, if a dead person doesn't have appetites like that. It's like, so now you have a, a person who has no appetite or hunger for the scripture, no desire to really know God. It's like, you know, they just kind of live life for themselves. Scripture says we're dead in our sins. We need to be raised from the dead spiritually. Actually, it goes in verse two, it says, and you, which you were formerly walked according to the course of this world, which not just means we're dead, but we're like following the world's course. And you think about our world's course. Have you not noticed the shift within the culture and the spiraling down of the culture so quickly? I mean, what used to be allowed on, on television, what, 60 years ago, and then, you know, now 20 years ago, and now today. I mean, the, the nature of, of just spiraling down so quickly. And it's like we follow this. In the past, we, before salvation, we just kind of, hey, if everyone else was doing it, if the culture says it's okay, we just think it's okay too. We just kind of follow along. Almost like a bunch, of, a bunch of cattle, you know, being herded for slaughter. And yet it's like they're, they have no clue, just following the one in front. You know, just kind of making that way. But the whole point is, is that's what we did. We, we were deceived, following the course of the world, according to, it says, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Now, wait a second. That means there's the ruler of the power of the air is energizing our world to do evil. The ruler of the power of the air is not a reference towards God. It's a reference towards the devil or Satan. 
So what you have here is the, is the devil energizing our world to do more and more wickedness, and here we are deceived following the course. Then you have, you have the end of verse 2, the spirit that now is working in the sons of disobedience. Now, yeah, we're dead, we're deceived, we're disobedient. I think that's pretty easy to see. And when we think of sons of disobedience, so often we can think of even parent-child relationship. And if I were to ask you in a simple way here to say, um, growing up, did you ever disobey your parents? How many of you ever disobeyed your parents? Would you raise your hand? Okay, you did that, right? Okay, I'm looking to make sure if you didn't raise your hand, you're lying. That's another sin, okay, you know what I mean? And my next question would be this, is how many times did you disobey your parents? I mean, would, I mean, you wouldn't be like, uh, 14. You know, you wouldn't say, you, you'd have to be like, oh, a lot, you know, I did, you know. So as you consider this, it's like, sure, sons of disobedience, but it's not, it's talking about disobedient towards God. We, we're characterized as people who break God's laws. And then you go further, verse three. Among whom we also formerly conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, these are the wicked desires, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Okay, it's saying, sure, we're disobedient, but we're also depraved. Our depravity, because of, because of what we think about, we just decide to do, or I feel like, oh, I have those evil desires, I'm just going to say it, I'll just decide, I'll say it, I'll, I'll live life my way. And this is what happened before salvation. We live this way. And deception and depravity. And then notice this, and we're by nature children of wrath. When it comes to wrath from God's perspective, it's this. It is righteous anger that God pours out on sin and sinners. When you think about God's wrath, you think of the, how mankind is doomed because we've all sinned against God. I mean, then the wages, the payment of our sin is what? Is death. And so that's not good. It means eternal separation from God because where God lives in heaven, he's holy. He's so perfect. We sang about some of that tonight. And you think about Revelation 21, and the very last verse says that nothing will enter into it, speaking of heaven, that will defile it. I mean, it is totally, perfectly pure. We don't match up. And we're sinners. Do you know if God were to let you in, like, oh, I'll just overlook you. Yeah, 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 I think I'll overlook you, you know? No, the, the moment you would be in heaven, in one sense, you could say heaven would be ruined because you're there because you're a sinner. So the whole problem is it's a, a major problem with mankind because God is holy and he, he doesn't allow sin into his presence that way. And so God is separated from sin unto himself and we do not match up. And yet we're children of wrath. Yes, because the scripture speaks of two places you can go when you die. Did you know that? The scripture talks about heaven and it speaks of hell. It, it, you know, it's interesting. It never talks about purgatory. I remember one teenager out west, I was... It was in um, Farmington, New Mexico, and we had just finished a, a Cold War night, and, and I had preached a gospel message dealing with hell and even the cross, and, and, um, and afterwards, uh, this teenager said he would like to talk to me, so we start, started talking for a minute, and I said, let me ask you a question just before we talk. Like, if, if, you were to, if you were to die tonight, I'm just curious, where would you go? And he said, well, I think I'd probably go to purgatory. I said, oh, okay. And I, and I, and I took him, I showed him my... I said, I've got this, this app, you know, it's just the Bible, and uh, so pretty simple. And um, so there's a little search button at the top. I hit the search button. I said, watch how this works. And I put God in it, and I went go, and all of a sudden, um, you know, I mean, anytime God is mentioned in all of the Bible, you know, it's like, you know, and it's crazy. I said, yeah, that's how it works. So watch this. And we, I put in there, I put purgatory, and went go, and nothing happened. Well, let's make sure we spell things right, you know. Here we go, you know, purgatory, you know, go. Nothing happened. So do you know why nothing happened? Because it's not there. That is a man-made style of tradition that Jesus clearly did not teach. Read Luke 16. 
Jesus was very, very clear. When the rich man dies, what happened to him? He dies, and in hell, he lifts up his eyes, and he's in torments. Then it's interesting. You have the poor man, Lazarus, who enters the presence of God. It speaks of two places you go when you die. And in one sense, I told he said, well, my priest said, and I said, listen, I'm not trying to get you to go against your authority, but I will say this. Out of any religious person that you should listen to, you should listen to the one who died on the cross and yet was buried and rose from the dead who conquered sin, death, and hell. That's the religious person you should listen to. So whoever else contradicts Jesus, that's a problem. And it's, it's interesting how so much culturally we can be, be so going, ah, and we go, wait a second, what does the scripture actually say and teach? And a lot of times people have never even looked for themselves in the scriptures. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting what people tell me, and I'm thinking, wow, like, where did you get that, you know? Well, somebody told me something, you know. So as we look at this here, we have the idea of children of wrath even. Now, when you think of wrath, I also think of, do you remember the name Jonathan Edwards? Jonathan Edwards, I would suggest to you, may have been the very, the smartest, maybe the smartest person who ever lived in the United States. I mean, brilliant, a brilliant. I mean, just... And, and God got a hold of his life. He, he, was, he, he, he came to Christ. Just, I mean, I could tell you stories and stories of him. But, but Edwards, interesting, at one point as a preacher, preached a message that God used to help spark a great awakening in the culture. And the message was entitled, do you remember the title of it? It was Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Interesting, as he would preach this historically, initially, you know, they say he would have have kind of read it as a manuscript, which usually is kind of boring if you think about a person kind of reading it, and he kind of read it more monotonally and had to kind of pull it up close. Now, he preached it multiple, many, many times, and as he, as he, he probably got better at it, but the truth is, it's kind of like here he is kind of monotonally reading this, and yet people hearing the message begin to scream out, out loud. Like, it was like, whoa. People were yelling. And like, you could imagine like a child screaming or someone else just yelling out in the middle of the service. That would like kind of, you know, freak you out a little bit. But people were yelling because they were afraid that the ground would open up and they would fall straight into hell. I mean, this is the, the pressure they felt in what's called conviction or the guilt of God on their heart. And it wasn't in just the way he could, you know, his colorful language or how he was kind of presenting this. It was obviously clearly God doing something among the culture. And yet it's amazing because it began to, God began to spark a great awakening where people began to turn to Christ alone and trust in Jesus. And it, 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 it shifted the culture back in the day. Interesting, that same message, sinners in the hands of an angry God, used to be required reading in the public school. Things have changed. But as you go further in this, you go, this is not good stuff. Actually, what is this saying? If we're children of wrath, that means we're under God's judgment. And the scripture does say this, that God is angry with the wicked every day. This is not good news. This is, this is exactly why people want to get up and be like, I'm out of here. You know, I, I don't want, you know, you're condemning me, Jeremy. And I, oh, you know, because what are you saying? You're saying I'm too dirty for heaven. And then you're telling me that I'm going to hell. And I'm saying, well, I'm telling you this because we, you need Jesus to save you. This is the whole point because we can't rescue ourselves from our own sin. So the kindness would be that I would tell you truth and not go, ah, yeah, you're okay. Meanwhile, you die in your sins. That'd be awful. So actually, what I say here is, number one, salvation is from sin. Number two, you'll see this, though. Notice verse four, everything changes. Now the message shifts in a positive way. Because the first three verses, it's all seemingly negative, showing us who we are. But notice verse four, two words. And in my grandmother's Bible, can I tell you, these were the words in a box. These were, this thing was highlighted. There were rays of light shooting out of the first two words here. And what are those two words in verse four? But God. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he had loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So wait a second. It describes God. God being rich in mercy? What's mercy? Mercy is when God withholds judgment from you. 
In other words, we all deserve, because we sin against God and the wage of sin being death, we deserve his punishment. We deserve to be eternally separated from God in hell. That's what we deserve. But then, wait a second, I'm looking out here and none of you are in hell. Well, you might say, well, Jeremy, you don't understand my life. I mean, it, it's, it feels like hell. And I'd say, well, maybe you say that, but you might want to study scripture better because you might realize real quickly Clearly, you're not there, and, and as bad as it may be here, it's not there. And so, in one sense, God is being merciful, withholding judgment, but then it talks about grace. He even says his great love. Look at verse 4 again. But God being rich in mercy, so he's got so much mercy, for because of his great love with which he loved us, which tells us God doesn't kind of, sort of, maybe, sort of, kind of love you. This is a great love with which he loved you. And yet, notice this. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. How did he do that? By grace, you have been saved through faith. Actually, later, we see in verse 8, notice this. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. So how are you saved? Well, you've got to be rescued from sin. Salvation is from sin. But number two, it is by grace. It is clearly by grace. And what's interesting is, again, some of the dumbest things I've heard are like from religious people. I've had some tell me stuff like this. Well, Jeremy, you know, you've got to earn grace. <laughs> That's like the dumbest thing I've ever heard. What are you talking about? How do you, if you earn it, it's no longer grace. That doesn't make any sense. If you earn it, it's works. But yet here it's saying that we're saved by grace. And when you think about this grace, and then it begins to describe that in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That's how you get it. But notice this, this grace and this salvation. This and this, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now wait a second, not of yourselves. What do people do sometimes to try to earn grace that can't be earned? You know what they do? Some people, they go, well, I go to church, Jeremy. (laughs) Wow, wonderful. (laughs) Like, really, like, for you coming to church, did you notice this when you walked into the church building? Did you feel a funny zap? You know, like, you just walked across, like, the threshold there, like, like, whoa, like, like my sins just got taken away because I, and then maybe you stood at the door going, like, this feels great, yeah, you know, you know. But clearly, that doesn't take away sin. I meet people, one lady in Tennessee, she said this. She says, I know I'm going to go to heaven. And I said, that's great. I said, how do you know that? She says, because I've been baptized twice. This is first time in a Catholic church, second time in a Baptist church. She goes, not only that, I even have a brother-in-law who's a Baptist minister. I said, ma'am, kind of smiled. I said, those are all nice things. But did you know that none of those things take away your sins? Like how does, you know, there's a baptism back here. How does going underwater in front of people wash away your inward sin problem? You know, maybe you should try soap or shampoo as you do it or something like that. You know what I mean? It, do, it doesn't take away, like why is that that people think? And then you go, wait a second, there's a criminal on the cross, you know, who, who turns to Christ alone and trusts in Christ and he never gets baptized and Jesus tells him he's gonna be with them in paradise in heaven. Like did Jesus get it wrong? And the whole point is, no, he didn't. Because baptism is not, it's not something that, that's a requirement for salvation, although if you have been saved, it would be the very next step you'd want to do. You'd say, hey, he's rescued me, and I want to publicly let everyone know that this is what's happened to me. I have died to my sins. I have been raised to walk in newness of life. I am a follower of Christ, and that's a public display, isn't it? But baptism doesn't save you. I've had people tell me, well, Jeremy, I was confirmed, you know, when I was 13 or whatever, whatever age. They, they tell me, and I say, well, again, so you answered questions correctly. Like, how do they know your heart? And in that, what's interesting, the demons believe in Jesus and tremble, but they're not going to heaven. In other words, you can have a mental belief and you can know the right answers and still not be rescued from God, not to be saved. And, and I think of a gospel track that's out there that was, that's called you know, 18 inches from hell. The idea is you have the mental knowledge here, but it's never happened down here. It's never changed a life. 
So when you consider this whole idea in verse, in verse eight and verse nine, you see that it's not of yourselves. There's nothing you can do in and of yourselves. It's, it's not the prayer you pray. I meet people and they say, well, Jeremy, I, I prayed a prayer. Actually, the guy in South Carolina, he was, I mean, he was, he was like toasted. Like he, he clearly was drunk. And uh, he's like, yeah, I'm, I, I've been saved. You know, he's all slurring. And I said, well, you know, the scripture, so I kind of brought him to scripture. Well, you know, the Bible says, for all have sinned, and he said, have sin and come short of the glory of God. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I've been saved. Wait a second, the scripture says, you know, the, it talks about the wages of sin, and he goes, is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. <laughs> yeah, I know, I've done that, I've been saved. Then can I ask you a question? What do you do with the scripture when it says no drunkards will enter the kingdom of God? I mean, if it really has happened, wouldn't it change your life? And we live in a culture where people trust in themselves. And here it says, it's the gift of God. What do you do for your, with your birthday, my birthday is coming up on the 16th, you know, and I'm like, I get it. I, I celebrate my birthday a month before, the month of, and the month after, you know, I just kind of, I get all excited. Um, but I think about the a gift, I, you don't pay for your own gifts, that, that's not a gift, like I don't, you know, that would be like some of you, you know, teenagers and grandma gives you a gift and you're like, well, grandma, that's like a couple hundred bucks, hold on a second, you come back and, you know, grandma, do you take Venmo or something like that or maybe Zelle or something like that, I can swipe my card or something, you know, you're trying to pay grandma for your gift? She'd be like, no, put that away, you know, slap you made a little bit and say, no, it's a gift. You don't pay for your own gift, and yet this is the gift of God. And notice verse 9 to make it so clear that everyone can see it. It is not of works. That means there's nothing you do to earn it or deserve it. Even Scripture says that our righteousness is like filthy rags to God. It doesn't impress him. So it's not of works. Why? Because if, they, if we could do it, what would we do? That no one may boast, because we would boast about it. How'd you get to heaven? Well, I'm pretty good, you know? My good outweighed my bad, you know? That doesn't work that way at all. Nowhere in Scripture does it teach this. So it teaches it's by grace. And that grace is something I think we do get. We don't earn or deserve. I was at a restaurant in Denny. Like, it's like a Denny's, almost like a breakfast all day thing. It's in like year 2000, just before I got married. And, and a bunch of college people after service like this, we just hung out. We said, hey, let's go there. And the lady passes the menus out to us. And she says, hey, just so you know, you can order anything off the menu. That's what she says. And I'm, if you haven't noticed, I'm sarcastic. I like to joke. I mean, I, so anyway. And when she said, you can order anything off the menu, I said, well, isn't that normal? Like, I mean, here's the menus, but you can't order anything from it, you know. And she goes, oh, no. And she started laughing. She goes, what I mean is this, that whoever comes in the restaurant tonight, someone came in earlier and, and paid enough money that whoever eats at the restaurant, it's totally free. And I went, what? We all were like, What? Yeah, so it's just, and, and then we're looking at each other like maybe it's one of us, you know, like that's paying for the table or something. But then we're like, we're all poor, it's not us, you know. So we're like, and then we're like, are you serious? And she said, yes. So I said, well, that changes everything. I mean, I was going to get an appetizer maybe, but now forget that, I got a meal. You know, I'm like, I'll take this meal. And she goes, well, what about dessert? And I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. I said, I think I'll take uh, this one. And she goes, now, you know, this one's really good too. And I said, well, then I'll take that one too. <laughs> because in the end, like here we are with this massive, Massive spread of food, and we didn't pay a dime because somebody graced us. The same way when you think about salvation, you can't earn it or deserve it. It's, it's purely by God's grace. And you get it through faith. Because in verse 8, as it describes this, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. So that's the way it, it happens within a heart and life. There's a, that, and it's not just belief or faith, you know, like, hey, I, oh, yeah, it's my faith or I believe that. It goes deeper than that. Biblical faith, the idea is, it, is it's not just believing in. It's almost like the idea of believing upon or trusting. As you think about faith, um, in one sense, everyone here, not, you might say, well, Jeremy, I'm an atheist, you know. I'm like, well, then you got some serious faith, you know, because that's what you believe. But when you consider faith, it's actually trusting in the one who can save you. Who is that, though? You've actually seen that because, because really in, in verse 5, it says, even when we were dead in our transgressions, 
He made us alive together with Christ. And this is the whole point. So yes, it's from sin. It's by grace. It's through faith and it's in Christ. Jesus had to do something for you that you could never do for yourself. You could try to earn your way, but you'll never make it. You'll never attain. But notice this. Notice verse 12. This kind of gives us clarity. Remember that you were at that time without Christ. Again, before you're saved, this is what you were without Christ. Alienated from the citizenship of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. And having no hope and without God in the world. That's who we are before Christ. And I say it that way too because let me remind you this. Scripture does say this. There's one mediator, one go-between, between us and God. And who it is, who is it? The scripture says it's the man, Christ Jesus. Scripture says it this way. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. That's why, that's why I can't, you know, like, someone like, well, maybe Buddha's their Jesus. No, there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus even said this very clearly. And it was a major, you know, he says, I am the way, he says, the truth and the life. And no man would come to the Father but by me. I like as C.S. Lewis, a famous, famous author of the past. He, what he say? He said, if Jesus was a liar and he says, you know, hey, you know, I'm Messiah, don't follow a liar. You know, if Jesus is a crazy man, a lunatic, you know, hey, I'm Messiah, follow me. No, don't follow a crazy man. Don't follow a liar, a lunatic. But if he is who he says he is as Lord, then what should you do? You should humble yourself in genuine repentance and faith in him, trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So the truth is, as you look at this, before salvation, it's bad news. We're without God in the world. But notice verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. It's a person who, who comes to grips with their own sin and realizes, I can't save myself. I need Jesus to save me. Interesting for me, I, as, I, as, I, as I'm coming to understand this more as a kid, it was interesting because my my dad is from Roswell, New Mexico, okay, Roswell. I don't know if you know anything about Roswell, New Mexico. It's the UFO capital of the world, okay? And um, that's why I have a glow about me, okay? Uh, yeah. But as I think about Roswell, and I think about my dad, they moved at some point as a teenager, he moved to Greenville, South Carolina. His dad was kind of studying for ministry and stuff too. My dad claimed to be a Christian, but he was not. He was not, and it was pretty evident that way. I mean, his life screamed something far different. And he and my mom got married real young, like say 18 and 19, and, and started having kids right away. And, and then by the time he was about 26 is when he really got saved. And that shifted everything. Now it's like we started going to church, a Bible teaching church. We started hearing the gospel. And I'm like, I'm starting to question things. I mean, before I thought, if hey, I'm going to go to heaven because my parents are. You know, it's like a family thing. You kind of get in that way. It doesn't work that way. At one point in time, I started asking questions to my older brother. We are in the front yard, and I said, Johnny, how do you know you're going to go to heaven? How, how does a person get saved? And Johnny said, you need to go talk to Dad about that. I don't think he was trying to push me away. I think he just he thought Dad would be the one to talk to. And, and I would see my dad for the next couple of weeks, literally, and I'd be like, no, i just push it off. And then one night, like a night like this, I'm in my church service. There was an evangelist preaching, and he was given the gospel he started talking about sin. And can I tell you, I knew I was a sinner. That wasn't hard at all for me to know. You know why? Because I got in trouble all the time. Okay, that's so, you know. And, and then he talked about the wages of the payment of sin being death. And as he's described this, I'm going for the first time, I'm going, whoa, I am too dirty for heaven. I deserve to be judged by God because I've broken his laws. I break his laws all the time. I need to be rescued. Interesting as he begins to show and talk about Christ, he begins to explain the gospel clearly. I mean, he's talking about the death, the burial, and even the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what Jesus did as Messiah. And I'm, for the first time, it's like it's all clicking in my heart, my mind. And then, and then the guy responds with the end. He just kind of says, hey, let's, let's kind of have a time of reflection, kind of an invitational kind of time. I'm sitting beside my dad. And as I'm sitting there, I grab my dad's shirt sleeve. I start pulling on it. And my dad, he actually looks down at me and goes, what are you doing? And he gave me a dirty look because, because normally I messed around in church and he thought that's exactly what I was doing, you know? Like, you know? And I'm like, 
Dad, no, I'm not messing around. I need Jesus to save me. He goes, oh. And he said, won't, we, won't you come with me? And, and he took his Bible and went to a quiet place in the church, began to open up the scriptures and show me from the scriptures what it meant to turn from my sins to Christ and trust in Christ alone. And you know, that night as a kid, as much as I knew how, I turned to Christ. I repented. I, I trusted in Christ. And he saved me. <laughs> and what's so amazing about that, it's, it's interesting because it's one sense so simple that a child can even get it. But it's interesting because it's, in some ways, can be so complex or not, 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 not easy because it's not easy because we don't want to yield ourselves fully to the Lord. We hold back so often. And yet you might live to be 90. You, you know, you, you might live to be 90, but, but you're not promised when you're 90 your heart will be at all, you know, tempered or, or hungry for truth or I want to get saved now, you know. Usually the older you get, the more hard-hearted you get. Interesting, you're not promised tomorrow either. There have been many services through the years that we've been at, and within not too long after that, I remember a youth pastor telling me too, remember this teen, that teen you talked to, and you were, you know, I was sharing the gospel with this teen after service. Within two weeks, car accident, he was dead, and, I just, and, and he didn't respond to the gospel. And then you think about how God gives warnings, and God in his kindness was sending a preacher Letting you hear the truth. One teenager told me actually during COVID, we had a, a one of our, our people, you know, right early on who, who got got COVID, and and it kind of shut things down for us for a, for a bit, and then we were stuck at this church, kind of, and then and then it's interesting because the because because we were stuck there when we were everyone was coming out of it, we ended up having a cola war, having a special event later that wasn't supposed to happen. These teens came, and and these teens actually got up. And before the message, and left, and I and they were leaving, and I and I said, wait, wait, wait. And so I went over and talked to him in the in the parking lot. Guys, don't don't leave. You should stay. This this is the whole point. We want to share the good news to, for you. And uh, a couple of them laughed, and uh, I said, I said, please consider what we're saying. Come back in. I know if you wanted to stay, you could. And um, and one of them finally turned his truck off, and he says, I, I'll come back in. Um, and then the others in the truck, they laughed and drove off. And that teen that night, by the end of the message, he just, he had responded to the gospel. He said, I want to get saved. I want Christ, I want to trust in Christ alone. And when he was done, it's interesting, as he cried out to the Lord, he came back to me and he said, he said, when you were talking to me, he goes, I knew this, I knew in my heart, if I leave tonight without Christ, I'm going to die in my sin. And this is God's warning to me. I, I really felt as though I, had, I needed to get saved tonight. And he goes, and I'm so glad I did. So I look at this and I say, when he does this work in your, in your heart, it does change everything. And I, and I love this because what really happens, I, I am concluding, okay, as you, as you look at this. But notice, notice verse 13 of chapter one, real fast, and then we'll finish, okay? Here it is. Verse 13, chapter one, verse 13. In him... Christ, you also, after listening to the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, were then sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So what happened? You had to hear the word of truth, the gospel, and yet not just hear it, you had to respond to it, believing upon Christ and believing the scriptures and what, what he says to you. And at that moment of, of belief in and upon Jesus, trusting in him, turning from sin and believing upon him, what happened? You then were sealed with him, in him, with the Holy Spirit of promise. He gave you the spirit at that moment. That's where salvation occurs. Has this happened to you? Because can I tell you far better than getting some pie, just a second here, is the gift of God, your eternal salvation. Some of you, maybe for a long time, you've known you've needed Christ. Can I tell you, don't push it off in his kindness and his love for you tonight. This message is for you. It would be awful to, to maybe even be a church member but without Jesus and die in your sins. And I'm not trying to make you fear in that sense, but if you're not in Christ, you should fear. There should be that. As we think about that even tonight, I will tell you this, 
Because in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, this is not even written as a gospel message. Did you know that? I tonight preach this as a gospel message to you. But actually, when you read it, this is not, it's not preached as a gospel. It's actually written to believers to say this. Don't you see what you have in Jesus? You were dead. You formerly walked this way. You lived this way. You were these sons of disobedience. I and mean, this is the way you live. But then God did this in you. He has saved you. This is the person looking back on it saying, whoa, look at this amazing grace that God has imparted to me as a believer. And he's telling you this to say, you know, you are blessed with these heavenly blessings from God. I mean, when's the last time you even shared your, your testimony? When's the last time you, you went to God and said, God, thank you for saving me. Thank you. I was dead, and I was deceived. I was disobedient. I was doomed. I was depraved. I was damned. I was on my way to hell, but you rescued me. Thank you. And why would he rescue you? For a purpose. Because verse 10 tells you this. For we, those who are saved, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Notice it doesn't say that you're saved by your good works, but you are created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of good works, which God hath prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, that means this. That's God's plan for you as a believer, that you, that you live to put him on display. You do good works. Why? Because he's, he's graced you. He's blessed you. So you're a channel of blessings to others. So why do we do this? We let our light so shine before men that they would see our good works and not go, hey, look at them. Look at those good people. No, that they would see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's the point. And I wonder as a believer, are you, not, are you praising him and living for his glory? Are you, are you seeking to put him on display or have we lost focus? I think even tonight can be an encouragement to our hearts as believers to say, I, I need to refocus, and God, I, I want to be about your business and your works, and I want to do good works. Lord, help me to consider that. Help me to consider ways around uh, in my neighborhood, in my, in my church, in my, in my family, like all around me, that I would, I would put you on display, God. Thank you, because of your amazing grace. But if you're here tonight without Christ, tonight I call you to Christ. I call you to repent, to believe the gospel. Trust in Christ. If you've not done that, you can. Tonight can be the greatest night of your life. Humble yourself and turn to him. May God help you. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your mercy and your great love and your amazing grace. You're so good to us even though we deserve punishment. God, I realize that for us, as we hear the good news, just because you did die on the cross, and as you did die, Scripture tells us that you who knew no sin would become sin for us, you were paying for our sins. You were providing salvation. You were doing a work that we couldn't do for ourselves. If we could do it, then you wouldn't need to have come. And then that sacrifice of Christ on the cross and yet his death and then to raise from the dead to be seen on more than 10 occasions and then, and, and then to, to raise into glory knowing you will come back. I pray that if there's someone here tonight without Jesus, please tonight, God, I pray and I plead for their soul that they would humble themselves in true repentance and faith tonight. They would trust in you. He would say, I don't want my sin, but I want Christ. I want him to be my Savior, my Lord, my King. That God, that you would save them. And then I pray for, for believers tonight that you would do that work in their hearts. That you would stir us as believers, that we would seek to put you on display, that we would be thankful people for this amazing grace that you've imparted to our souls. That we would live in our sins, but by your grace, we would, we would follow you. And that you would work in and through us. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I always like to conclude with just asking a couple questions that would make us think. But I wonder how many would say this, Jeremy, when you went through the gospel, how a person was, was a sinner, 
a person that needed salvation from their sin by grace, and it happened through faith in Christ. It happened for a purpose. Jeremy, there's been a time in my life where I've understood the good news. I've understood the gospel, and I have repented, and I've trusted in Christ, and he has saved me. And my life's different because of that amazing grace that's been imparted to my heart. But you'd say, Jeremy, if I were to die tonight, I know I'd go to heaven because I have been saved by the grace of God. If that's happened to you at some point in your life, I wonder, would you slip your hand up as a testimony? Jeremy, I believe that's happened to me. I have been saved. I have repented and trusted in Christ alone. If that's you, could you slip your hand up as a testimony? Jeremy, I believe that's happened to me. Amen. Numbers of you across the room here. You can put your hands down. Is there anyone out here tonight who would say, Jeremy, that's not happened to me yet. And that does concern me. Will you, will you just remember me in prayer tonight? I won't, I won't point you out, but by an upraised hand, I'd know just to pray for you. And I won't, again, I won't point you out for that, but you say, Jeremy, pray for me. I don't think I'm on my way to heaven. I don't think I've been saved yet. This concerns my heart. I just want you to remember me in prayer. And you just slip it up high enough. I, I love to pray for people. Pray for me, Jeremy, about that. I don't think I'm saved yet. And this does concern me. It does concern me. And again, that takes humility to do that, doesn't it? And tonight, if God is speaking to your heart, I would encourage you, please, Say something to one of us. I mean, pastors here, we're here. We'd love to be able to point you to Christ to show you from the scriptures what it really means to trust in Christ and to be saved. But I wonder as believers, are we living for his glory? Are we seeking to do good works because he's done a good work in us? Are we praising him for the blessings we have in Christ? Tonight, this would be a great time as we conclude here to meditate, to pray, to thank God, and to say, God, I want to I want to put you on display. God speak in your heart as my wife displays. Would you respond to the Lord tonight? Thanking him for this amazing grace. stirring some of your hearts towards friends or family members that are without Christ. You know what's amazing? You could take Ephesians chapter 2 and just walk them through it. Showing them so easily the gospel. You could call them to Christ. You pray for them, don't you? And yet God in his mercy has saved us. Let's put him on display. Let's seek to do good works to glorify our Father in heaven. I'm going to have Pastor come and close us out. Thank you so much for listening so well tonight.